If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour Podcast. Oh my goodness, are you in for a wonderful episode. Uh, we are continuing our parable series. Uh, we are going to be doing the widow and the unjust judge. Yeah, baby, bring it. Hey, my name is Keith Giles. <laughs> my name is Keith Giles. I'm one of your co-hosts. I am the author of the best-selling Jesus Un series of books available on Amazon, on Kindle, and print and audio. And I am joined by my amazing co-hosts, uh, Derek, Katie, and Matt, please say hello to our wonderful Heretic podcast listeners and introduce yourselves. Hello, everyone. I'm Katie Valentine. It's great to be back. Did y'all party hard last week? What happened? You know, it was a little sad without you, to be honest. It was. Just could barely get through the episode. There was like no energy. It was kind of, lo- kind of, it was, I don't know. I think it'll be the low point in the parable series that we've done so far. Just tough times, tough times. No, I'm, I'm happy to be back. I'll, I'll keep my mysterious absence a mystery. Mm. I was, I was busy learning secrets of the universe, having all revealed to me. Oh. And all will be revealed to you in due time. <laughs> Especially now that I'm not coughing and can talk again, now that yeah. I'm over my bronchitis mostly, which is the real, <laughs> the real truth and secret. Anyway, glad to be here. This is going to be fun. I'm ready to talk about the widow. And I'm Derek Day, the author of Deconstructing Religion and the writer of a whole bunch of other shit out there. And I am just overjoyed, overwhelmed, bubbling, <laughs> cup runneth over, thrilled to be here today. And I am Matthew J. DiStefano, and I am perfectly whelmed to be here. Excited for episode, what is it, three? Three of the Parable series. And I'm I'm the author of Heretic from the Blood of Abel and other books. Some more books coming down. Great book, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Heretic. Uh, yeah, not the other one. Yeah, the other one's I'm um, not sure about. But that one, that one. <laughs> That one's great. <laughs> that one's pretty decent. Um, yes, and we have, uh, we have, of course, a lovely episode for everyone. But before we get into all the, uh, all the meat, let's, let's get through the nuts and bolts. We have another advertisement today. So, uh, producer, let's uh, hear from that. Hi, Heretics. It's Katie here. I know some of you are wondering, what does that woo-woo woman actually do? Let me explain just a little more. I love to think about all things spiritual, and I like to do that as someone who follows Jesus. And I firmly believe that the woo-woo goes with Jesus. In addition to all the things we talk about here, the Bible, scholarship, expansive thinking, I love to help people think about even more intangibles. If you've ever asked questions like, does everyone have a guardian angel? Or what about that dream that seemed so real where grandma appeared? Or can we live many times? Then you might be interested in my Facebook group, The Metaphysical Christian. This is a group where I bring my scholarship to the table and I give more in-depth attention to all of these kinds of questions. It's super easy to find. Just type in The Metaphysical Christian into the search bar on Facebook and we'll put a link in the show notes too. I hope to see you there. We have 10,000 people. They are so fantastic. You're going to have a blast. Maybe thinking about things that are just beyond the veil. So I will see you on the other side. And in case you want to reach your favorite heretics, you can do so by exercising finger dexterity and dialing 
340-343-7379. Once again, it's 240-343-7379. And just in case your fingers don't get the job done, you can switch to your thumbs and send us a message via the Heresy After Hours Facebook group, which is where today's hotline comes from. Roll that beautiful text footage. And it reads, have you heard the term intersex? Do you know what it means? Have you met an intersex person? You probably have and didn't even know it. Oh, I know. (laughs) No, just kidding. Uh, And this is from our friend Robert Cottrell, which was posted in the Heresy After Hours group. And Katie will tell you more about that group as we fade into the sunset. So guys, (laughs) what do you think? Intersex. Yeah, I have heard the term. I'm not sure I could provide uh, how accurate a, a definition I could provide, but I have seen some really fascinating like testimonies from people uh, on YouTube who are who are born intersex. Uh, and so if you guys have, have any information on this, this would be great. But I think in general, what I what I love about the whole intersex community and the whole, uh, even the whole idea of intersex is that it completely obliterates the notion that in the beginning, God created only Adam and Eve, male and female. That's it. There's just male and female, and that's it. Now, we, of course, know there's other uh, genders. There are other genders that aren't even related to your your physical, you know, your body. But also, uh, intersex is, um, as I understand it, and I think someone here, other people here may have, have more accurate definitions to intersex. But in general, an intersex person is someone who was born usually with a, either a different set of genitalia than than the rest of their uh, physical body, or sometimes with both um, sets of genitalia at the same time. And so it's very difficult to sort of say it's, you know, one or the other. And I know there's also some issues that have come up with intersex children for years being basically selected, where the uh, the gender was selected for them surgically by a doctor uh, before the person themselves has to decide, you know, who they are and all that, which of course creates more problems. Anyway, for someone who doesn't know the answer to that question, I just gave a real long answer. Let's hear from people who might know more than me. Well, I have a definition and this comes from the source medlineplus.gov. And it says intersex is a group of conditions in which there is a discrepancy between the external genitals, uh, genitals and internal genitals, that is the testes and ovaries. The older term for this condition is hermaphrodism. Yeah, there you go. Uh, in, in, to summon my inner Deuce Bigelow. Oh, don't do that. I have a penis and a mangina. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not sure how much more I want to know about that. <laughs> All right. Katie, did you have a, any thoughts on this? Yeah. So yes, you have met an intersex person. I have met an intersex person. Everyone listening to this has met an intersex person. No doubt about it. Um, so and I like Derek, thank you for the definition. Um, so this is an important part of my research on gender identity. Uh, and as I as I research and find people of who are trans um, to talk about their interpretation of scripture, I also talk to intersex people. And so I think it's helpful to think of intersex as its own gender. And then many intersex people choose a gender identity or live into a gender identity that might be, um, might be 
male, it might be female, or it might be man, it might be woman, um, or something else, or non-binary, or whatever. And so I think it's really helpful if we can think of intersex as its own gender. Um, and then within intersex, I think there's five different categories, like medical categories of intersex as well. And so, yeah, the old term is hermaphrodite, and no one ever used that term ever, ever, ever when you're speaking about an intersex person. Correct it whenever you hear it. It says that there's actually four categories, Katie. Four. Not to, not to argue. I, I overdid it. I was overzealous. No, it's okay. Hey, you know, here's here's the thing. Uh, you know, in, in the interest of fluidity, that there's always room for more. It's a big tent thing. Yeah, and um, I, if I can promote the work of a, a colleague, Susanna Cornwall, has amazing work on theology and intersex. So I highly, highly recommend her work. And and I have nothing really to add uh, except uh, just another resource. It's a TED Talk that I watched, I don't know, some years back. And it's called The Way We Think About Biological Sex is Wrong with Emily Quinn, who found out that, um, that they're intersex and gives a great talk on that. So I would recommend that. It's a TED Talk on YouTube. So that's all. Yeah, I, I think you know, I, w- I really love hearing people's stories uh, who were born intersex. And I think that's something that's, um, we need to do a lot more listening, you know, uh, to people's stories, uh, who are, whose experiences are different from ours. Uh, I think that's how we learn. So yeah, thanks for those resources. Yeah. I I think the whole topic of of sexuality, that's one where we all need to do more listening. It's a lot of listening to be done. Very good point, Keith. Great. Awesome. Okay, great question. I love this. Hopefully it's provoking some um, some research and some story listening. I think it's time to turn to our amazing, mind-blowing heretic of the week. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, this is December Rose, the author of The Church Can Go to Hell, and I am sometimes considered a heretic for the radical truth that I have the audacity to speak. Hi, December. <laughs> Oh, awesome. So, so excited to have you uh, as our Heretic of the Week, December. This has been, this is awesome. So, so good to have you on and for people to, uh, for our audience to get to meet you and find a little bit more about you. So, I guess the, the typical thing we usually ask all of our Heretics of the Week, first thing is, why would some people call you a heretic? What's going on with that? I would say that people call me a heretic because I challenge what they are their traditions, and their religious culture. I don't think it's based very much in a biblical or actual definition of that word. I think it's just born out of offense. Yeah. <laughs> For the most part. You you just rock the boat too much. So why do you do that? Why 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 do you have to do that? Why can't you just, uh, you know, float along come, and come on just go with the just go with the status yeah. quo now stop rocking the boat i I, I, <laughs> I think it's because once you are once you are aware of the truth you have an obligation to live accordingly at least in my mind right so once you become aware of something um then you can't ignore it you can't unlearn it you can't unsee it you can't unexperience it and therefore you know the rest of your life is going to you know, have to follow along with what you now know. And so that's why I just can't. Right. Cannot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you do kind of speak out, whether that's like online or you were, you were someone who uh, up until recently were pastoring a church. Were you, were you kind of even then pastoring a church? Was this something that you were also kind of being accused of, uh, you know, being coloring outside the lines kind of a thing? 
Yes, I I've, I have always been a little bit. I've always been outside the lines a little bit. I've been a professional line <laughs> stepper for for a minute. So I hadn't really been all that accepted into like more the prestigious, the, the cliques around here, you know, the, the coaches, the preachers, pastors. I've always been like treated with respect, but with a long handle spoon, you know, with at arm's length because I, I've always, you know, been a little bit radical in my thought process. But leading up to writing this book and stepping away from pastor and I just, you know, just like jumped all the way in the lake. <laughs> Not not like a fire, but in the lake. <laughs> just, just like, okay, I'm done with that. Right. <laughs> that is a tight, you know, John trying to straddle the fence with it, you know. Right. No, there, there's no fence straddling when you write a book called The Church Can Go to Hell. I mean, obviously, right off, right. Right off the bat, it's like, okay, something's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and what was my own personal testimony has a lot to do with it, but also just the scripture itself has a lot to do with it. Christ himself said in so many words that y'all gonna go to hell if y'all don't get right. And he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't talking to the world, you know, so to speak, as we call it. He was talking to the Sadducees and Pharisees when he said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. so he was telling them that, you know, and of course he didn't necessarily use the word hell, but, you know, basically was telling them, you're going to miss it. You go, you're going to walk people through the gate and you ain't going to get in yourself. Yeah. You know, that, and that's a great point that Jesus criticism, you know, he saved his strongest criticism and his strongest rebukes for the quote unquote religious and righteous, uh, the religious leaders of the day, uh, the church, right? Mm-hmm. Of his day and didn't really have any harsh words for quote unquote sinners. So yeah, actually you're kind of following in, a, in that tradition, right? Of holding the church's feet to the fire uh, as it were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at, at a lot of people and they might want to call me a heretic, they might want to call you a heretic, but I believe the same people that are calling us heretics now would have called Jesus a heretic then. Because if you look at his ministry, he was quite radical and quite out the box and always offending somebody and always, you know what I'm saying, uh, making somebody want to do something to everywhere he went he caused problems (laughs) because what he was saying or what he was doing. And it wasn't problems with the world so much. It was with the church. It was with the religious institution at the time. Yeah. You know, like you said, most of his harshest words that he had, the rebuke that he had was for the church. It wasn't for the world. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly right. Anyone, anyone that he said, Anyone that he warned about hell or Gehenna was the leaders. It wasn't. It wasn't the the people, the destitute, the people in the streets. It wasn't the people, the widows, the poor, the imprisoned. It was like, no. If if you, the church, don't do these things for those people, you're the ones who end up there. I I remember writing a uh, an article. I think a, years ago, it was like, if anyone goes to hell, it's Christians. That, that's, right. that's what Jesus' message are. I mean, and, and I used, I mean, he wasn't talking to Christians because there were no Christians then. But the point being, like, it's the ones who think that you're in a lot of the parables, a lot of the teachings. It's really like, I don't think there's a, these are like necessarily like theological truisms, but the point of them is to flip the script and to get you like shook to your core about who's really in and who's really out. And even in my book, it's based on, and I put it as the introduction of my book, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 20, is it Matthew chapter 21, 23 rather, 1 through 33, where Jesus is basically saying, woe to you, Pharisees and you religious teachers and you, you know, and he's going down the list, this laundry list of stuff that they are doing and not doing. And 
that's what this book is about, except for it's, it, it's my testimony laid out about how I've experienced everything that Christ is, is saying, you know, is warning them against in the church in my lifetime, you know, all the way up until the time that I walked out of the pulpit. And so it's just dealing with that. And he said, you look, you guys, you, 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 in one, in one scripture, he says, you'll like go all over the world to try to make one disciple and then you'll turn him into twice the ch- child of hell that you are. <laughs> <laughs> he literally said that. Yeah. And people will, you know, call me a heretic. I'm like, have you read the words of Jesus? Have you read what he said? Uh-huh. You, you, you're offended by what I'm saying. What if I busted up the, the church and said what he said? Then you really be trying to throw me out. Right. Yeah, well, it's it's one of these things where, you know, it's okay if Jesus says it to those guys, but, you know, don't say that to me, right? We don't, we don't want to be under the microscope. We don't want to have Jesus kind of putting us into that same, uh, sort of lens, uh, or we're shining the spotlight on our, when we make the same mistakes, right? When we start thinking the same way. And that, that's, but that's the whole point. We should be reading, uh, Jesus, uh, where, yeah, where we are. I mean, I've, I've said this before too, like, you know, anytime, you read anything about the Pharisees in, in the Gospels, what you should be doing is putting yourself in their place. You should be saying, is there a Pharisee in me? Uh, am I am I like this? How, do I think this way? Do I treat people this way? Do I have the same kind of blind spot? Because I think that's the point, the purpose of that is it, we should be, so in other words, it's not like, oh, those people, oh, those guys, right? Yeah. And that's typically the, what, what we do instead of saying, well, no, is that me? Am I doing that, right? So that, that's the, that's the challenge. And I love your book. I, I, I just, um, when I read it, it just blew my mind. And my mom even loved it, which is funny because if you know my mom, she's probably the last person you would look at and think she would love a book called The Church Can Go to Hell. But boy, she really did love it. She read the whole thing in one night, which is crazy. She doesn't do that with my books. Um, so it's, it's an amazing book. And, and so, the, so your critique, your criticism of the church, it doesn't come from a place of like, you're not like, oh, you people over there. You're, you're really telling, uh, your own story, as you said. And so you've lived a lot of this stuff and it's pretty amazing stuff that you've lived through. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, but like your journey, your, your process of how you ended up where you are now. Oh, well, I'm going to try to make a long story very short. <laughs> 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 I was, I was raised a Jehovah's Witness, which is, very hyper religious, you know, and then from there, my mother got out of the Kingdom Hall and I ended up going to a Baptist church where my grandmother was. And um, that was really the beginning of my, you know, journey into seeking God for myself and also experiencing a lot of the damage that was done um, to me under the cloud of, you know, Christianity. But I ended up, you know, in an inappropriate relationship with the pastor. I don't want to give away too much of the book in case folks want to go back and go and read it. Um, that changed my life, you know, but I, it, in, it was so traumatic for me. You know, it changed the course of my life. Like I dropped out of college and all all kind of stuff. And, and then it's it's crazy that I ended up even becoming a pastor at some point because the, my relationship with the church was so damaged. But there's something about, um, the pull in my soul and spirit for the love of God and loving people that I couldn't ignore that call in my life. It always found me wherever I went anyway, you know, but I, with this book, it's almost like I was writing, writing myself out of the church. Because <laughs> when I was writing this book, I was still pastoring. It was, you know, I, I released the book on um, December the 19th and I, I had just 
uh, uh, installed new pastors on December the 6th or so. So I was writing this book on my way out and just thinking, you know, I can't release this book and stay in this pulpit (laughs) for a, a lot of reasons. One, I don't believe, I don't, I don't believe this is the place for me anymore. That's the first thing. And so I can't do this with passion. And then the other issue is I don't want to, I didn't want to bring reproach on the church for releasing a book like that. You know, and I didn't want the members to have to answer for me, you know, like, well, your pastor, but you know, I just didn't want them right. to have to answer for me. Yeah. You go to the, and for that to be something you go to that, that clouded you, the church. Yeah, you go to that church where the, where the pastor wrote a book about the church can go to hell. <laughs> that would be, a, <laughs> yeah. that'd be an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. You know, what's so crazy about that though, now looking back and how knowing that God had so much to do with it. I didn't want to bring reproach on the church and I didn't want the church to have to answer for me. And now the pastor that I installed keeps copies of, he ordered 25 copies of my book and keeps it at the church and gives it to people that come in and say that they've been hurt by church and gives it to people to read. Wow. <laughs> yep. So yeah. he keeps the copies there to give to people when they say I've been hurt or this or that, or they look like they're, well, I don't come to church because people judge me. And if they, if, if he feels led, he just gives them a copy of my book. And he said, people have nothing but great things to say. <laughs> so it's wild. Isn't, isn't it amazing how the universe works in that way? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild. And I was worried about staying there because I was releasing the book. And now it's just, it's there for anybody to have if they want it. So in the book, what are, what are some of the, um, what are the, some of the more pointed things that you're really lasered in on? Cause, um, you, you mentioned that it's, it's, you know, part of your story, your experiences, but what were some of those experiences that caused you or led you, uh, put better yet, led you to a place where you wanted to write this book and wanted to discuss the things you discuss? One of the, it's just my life experience in general. So coming up through the church and having gotten into an inappropriate sexual relationship with the pastor and feeling like, you know, how the church treated me versus how the church handled him, you know, and this is, Mm. this is for women and girls everywhere. The burden of everything sexual is on the woman all the time. So if you get pregnant, oh, you should have kept your legs closed. Ma'am, sir. If, if, if <laughs> whether I had them open or closed, I cannot impregnate myself. Right. So, you know, there's <laughs> right. just no burden. Everything, the burden is always on the woman. Oh, she, she seduced him. She did, she that. I was 17. He was 36. You know what I'm saying? So, and when, and when I met him, I was 14. So he groomed me for like four years. You know what I'm saying? So it's always, you know, the burden is always on you. And, the, and there, there, there's always this, this reflex to protect the person in in, at the, in the, behind the pulpit, the pastor or whatever the case. You see it in all churches. We we like to make Catholic churches the redheaded stepchild of you know a pedophilia or whatever the case is in the cover-ups. But really, it's in all churches. It's yep. in all churches um, that there's there's a desire to protect the institution over the people to protect the institution and the protocol over the people. And you even see that in the word. There is this this, uh, uh, account in the scripture where Jesus healed somebody and they were like, well, it's the Sabbath. You know what I'm saying? And then he healed somebody on the Sabbath. And so literally they're like saying that the protocol of the day is more important than this person. Right. He should have honored the Sabbath. And also they considered healing to be work. 
right? Because if you're saying I'm dishonoring the Sabbath, you, you're considering my ability to heal and to perform this miracle and to restore lives work that I shouldn't be doing on this day. And I made it unholy. And I don't want to get into a sermon or whatever, but a lot of churches have made um, the service of the Lord work. And they're, because they have it put in this box, it doesn't fit into their their culture. It doesn't fit into the protocol. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of churches doing church and very few doing ministry for that reason. And then, you know, um, I talk about uh, sex in there and homosexuality in there and how I had a relationship with a woman for a while. And, you know, my thoughts around that. And that's my, you know, I've talked about my experience with that and how, you know, that wasn't really who I was, but um, I, I believe that God loves everybody and I don't believe that homosexuals are going to hell and I don't believe, you know what I'm saying? So I go into all that based on my own experiences. I, I talked about the, you know, the law. There's, um, there's a chapter in there called um, The Church and the Side Chick. <laughs> and when we think about the side chick, um, we, we, we think about, you know, the other woman. And in this case, I'm talking about the law, the law being the side chick and how the church wants you to get into covenant with grace and they preach grace and they preach the unmerited favor of God and they preach mercy and they draw you in with all this. Jesus loves you and all that. And then they saddle you with all these laws and these rules and these regulations and they get you in, in my book, I call it, they get you in a menage a trois between, you know, God and grace and the law. And how that doesn't work, and and Christ Christ mentioned that. And <laughs> I, I want to read something, if you don't mind. Go for it. Okay, there's a in the introduction of my book, and I say the introduction is written by Jesus Christ. Um, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, I'm not going to read all the verses one through 33, but I'll read the beginning of it um, because this is my position toward the church, and I also believe uh, a lot of us that are considered heretics. This is. This is indicative of them. And it says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. And that is what, that's what Christ said. That's what Christ said. And it's like, when you call that out, you become a heretic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you say, you know, you're crushing people that God didn't put this burden on them. All of a sudden, oh, you you don't know, you know, there's all this thing about holiness, holiness, holiness. Yeah. There, there's, you can't be holy if you try. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I put in and I could be wrong, but in my understanding, I put holiness and grace the same place. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? This is a gift from God <laughs> that you couldn't earn. You can't live. You can't. There's nothing you can do to consider yourself holy. You know what I'm saying? And that's just my, that's my opinion. And then there's another, there's another um, chapter or sub chapter in there called the penis in the pulpit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I know. Watch out there now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just dealing with how a lot of the preachers, specifically male ones, use the pulpit as an extension of their manhood. Uh-huh. And they almost treat the church like it's their own harem of, uh-huh. you know, women or resources or people to use and wield their power how they see fit. Some of them symbolically and some of them literally. 
like I, the church that I became a pastor of, that I took over pastoring and um, transferred out of, you know, right before I wrote this book, the pastor there had a mistress in the church. Besides that mistress, he had gotten the treasurer pregnant. Now that's two women and he was sleeping with somebody else in the church. And so some that's, that's literal, that penis in the pulpit chapter is literal and figurative, both. So it's, it's, you know, it just deals with all my experiences just coming up through the church and dealing with religion, you know. I mean, I hear the passion in your voice. It's like a lot of Christians, they want to, going back to what you said about like the Catholic church being the redheaded stepchild, but that's not the case because, and we're seeing it, you know, with the Hillsong documentary, with the Mars Hill podcast, with all of these stories coming out, you're like, oh, these are fringe things. These are, oh, these are just a couple major pastors who had these issues, Houston and Lentz and so on. But your story is like, no, this is like, this is your local church. It's systemic. This is systemic. This goes, this is in this city, in that city, in this town. And it's over and over it's and over. It's in the storefront and the, 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 the dome and the mega, it's everywhere. That's it. It's everywhere. And so books like yours, I mean, it's like, no, this is, this is boots on the ground level stuff. And this is, you know, someone that you're not going to hear. I, I don't know the, the name of, of the, the gentleman that, that was grooming you. You know, we know the Lens, mm-hmm. we know the Houstons. But there's every everyone that was grooming you. There's so many of those, and so That's the right. more of the stories like yours that come out, people can hopefully see the systemic nature of this problem. That's right, and we only know Houston. Let's we only know them because they have mega churches, right? That exactly. are on global, worldwide stages. If if they were just the storefront church that only got fifty, seventy five members, or if they were just a local church with two or three hundred, you wouldn't know their name. Nope. It would just be a local scandal that would kick up some dust for some months. The girl or whoever she was would have been sent out yep. like the scapegoat getting sent out exactly. the second, you know what I'm saying and then everything would have continued as normal either he would have been forgiven and they would have been restored or they would have kicked him out and got a new pastor you never heard nothing about exactly him. but it's systemic it happens all the time all the time and, we're, and we just heard today I think uh, there's another of uh, John MacArthur that he found yep. out that there was a, ped- a pedophile in his church staff and he knew about it and kept him on staff. And the guy only got fired later because he kissed a secretary. Not for pedophilia, but because he kissed a secretary. Oh, that was one step too far. The secretary. Right, right, right. Maybe because John maybe because that was John's girl. Right, <laughs> anyway, maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe cross the line. Yeah. I don't know. We have territorial right there. I don't know. You know what's so funny is I mentioned John MacArthur in my book. Uh-huh. He's in the chapter The Church and the Side Chick, and where I'm talking about um women preaching. And how he had something shady to say about Beth Moore. Uh-huh. And um, they were on a panel with this, I guess it was a men's conference or something. And the one gentleman said Beth Moore and his response to that was go home. Uh-huh. And then he followed that up with a sermon at his church. I don't know how many Sundays later talking about why women aren't called to preach. So I, that's in my book, too. And I'm like, what is the agenda behind saying that a woman is not called to preach and all these souls are coming to the Lord. Think about Joyce Meyer and think about all that she's done internationally with these orphanages and these medical institutes and think about that. And that's an agenda of Satan because why would anybody take time out in their day with thousands of people listening to them to tell them not that um, you're thinking about suicide, but you know, don't counsel today 
uh, don't cancel your today because of what yesterday was like. Look toward tomorrow. You can do it. You can make it. Not because you're in an abusive relationship and God does not want that for you. God does not want that for you. Not you're dealing with, you know, a sickness and a disease and maybe they've told you that it's terminal, but there's still joy and there's still hope and you can still look ahead or anything like that. But women aren't called to preach. So I gather all these people into this building on Sunday morning who are dealing with various issues. Some of them are homeless. Some of them are broken. Some of them depressed. Some of them dealing with illnesses. Some of them going through divorce. Somebody being abused. Somebody is unemployed and don't know how they're going to pay their rent. And the message I have for them on that morning after I gather them into this building is to tell them not that Jesus loves you, not that there's hope, not that there's joy, not that there's healing, not that God can give you peace that surpasses all understanding, even in the middle of your storm. But I'm gathering you in this building to tell you, because I thought you should know that women should not preach the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, he's a heretic. If right. somebody's a heretic, he's a heretic. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. That's the good news. That's what you want me to tell me after I've gotten dressed and got my family together and spent my last $5 in gas money getting to the building and I'm giving up because I'm in a broken place and I really need to hear from the Lord. And the word that the Lord gave you for me today was women are not called to preach. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. Where's our organ? We need an organ yeah. right now. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Come on now. That's not the word of the Lord for the people. Right. You know what I'm saying? We're, that's not God inspired. That's not faith breathed. That's from you out of your flesh because you said something flippant about a woman who has done nothing but glorify God with her life. And now you feel like you got to make up for it some kind of way. Yep. So this is how you're doing. Yeah. Well, tell you what, December, someone I know is called to preach who's a woman and that's you because man, you get, <laughs> you get going and I get excited. It's, it's amazing. And I, I love what you have to say. I love your perspective. And, and I want to go back to something you had said at the beginning about how, because I do find this so compelling and so beautiful. Again, you know, so people might just hear the title of the book, The Church Can Go to Hell, or see the cover, The Church Can Go to Hell. It's this bold, you know, like, oh my gosh, and feel like, oh, this is going to be this hateful, uh, negative, uh, you know, just going to tear everything down and be so critical, but it's not. I mean, it is. You, you definitely do. You definitely do, you know, do you, you, speak, you speak the truth, so you're not holding back. But but that's not the main takeaway of the book. And that's what I find so beautiful and compelling about the book and about your story is that even in the midst of some the, the abuse you suffered, the manipulation that you went through, all, the, all of your struggle, all of your pain that you went through, and yet all the way through, you never let go of God. You never let go of Jesus. You never lose faith, which is a miracle. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. how in the world? And so there's still, throughout all of the pain, on every page, there's still so much hope and joy even. And I, I appreciate that so much about you and your story and this book, which I just think is phenomenal. That's why I'm, I'm so excited that choir is going to be able to make this available um, to everybody. Yes. Yes. I know. I don't know about anybody else, but I know for me, um, the further I get away from the institution of religion, I won't say the church necessarily, but the institution of religion, the closer I get to God, the closer I get to God, because I'm realizing that he's not this overarching archetype of a father who's always looking down on you, always watching and waiting, writing the list and checking it twice like Santa Claus to see, you know what I'm saying, if you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? To see if you go go to heaven or hell. Is that, that is not the God that we serve. Right. 
that's not the God that I serve. Yeah. When I think about the father, I think about my relationship with my own children. And I'll just give you an example of this. I take my children to the playground, you know, even now, but when they were younger, you know, three, four, five, you know, and, and kids always want to do the thing that they can't reach. So they always want to do the monkey bars. I mean, you, can you put me up there? You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and my son, especially, he's like fearless. He's going to run up and jump off of something. And I'm just like hoping he doesn't hurt himself. And so he wants to do the monkey bars where he can neither climb up there nor reach up there to the monkey bars. So as a parent, then I want him to have this experience. I lift him up to the monkey bars, right? And his little hands are so tiny that they can't even go all the way around the bar. Right. So I'm knowing this when I lift him up there that he neither has the height nor the strength. He doesn't have the height to get up there nor the strength to hold himself there after he gets up there. So I'm walking with him as he's doing this little hands. And then I let him go for a little while knowing. okay, I know when I let him go, he's going to be able to hang there for a second. But his little hands are going to lose grip and he's going to fall. So I'm standing there under him. And when I think about. Grace, I think about my son and I think about the monkey bars and I think about how the level of righteousness that God, God, the, 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 the gap between God and us, God understands. <laughs> and he's not, he, he's not going to come down to where we are. So he brings us up to where he is. And that's what I, when I think about the love of Christ and holding my son up there, knowing that there's nothing, he cannot attain that on his own. Not, not only can he not attain it, he can't sustain it on his own. And that's why I'm there. That's why I'm there. And there's not going to time. There's not going to come a time where I say to him, you know, your hands should be bigger than this. You strength. You should have more strength than this. You should be able to reach this. You know what I'm saying? I'm always going to be there because because that's the love I have for my son. And that's the way I look at God outside of religion. You know what I'm saying? He's there and he loves me. And that's it. And that's all. I mean, you're what you're describing is so like. I know a lot of Protestants will get mad at what you're saying and what we're all saying here, but really this is like, as, not to be offensive, but this is as Lutheran as it gets, right? So Luther <laughs> talked about a theology from the cross, a theology of below. Like you're talking about lifting people. We always think about God looking down on us, but you're talking mm-hmm. about it from below, which is which goes back to Luther for all of, I, I'm not a huge fan of Luther, but, yeah, but. I think that, uh, at that, that was correct. Like it's a theology of the cross. It's a theology from below. And that's how we're to see God rather than this like tyrant in the sky, typically white, typically old man, typically with a beard, you know, none of these sort of things fit the description of the typically Republican. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nowadays, yeah. 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 Doesn't like gays and all, check out all the boxes, right? Um, (laughs) But, you know, we need to get that out of our, uh, of our minds. So, but what you're saying is not heretical in any sort of way. However, it's just a term. Like we've talked, we started the show a hundred and some odd episodes ago. What is a heretic? It's just a pejorative people throw at others when they disagree. And so, you know, obviously we use it tongue in cheek here, but what you're saying really fits with what the Christian message is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just add too, it's, it's also a theology and a perspective that's very Christ-like because this idea of, you know, of, of Christ is, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. Not God over us, not God against us, not God judging us, not God, you know, angry at us. It's no God with us. And so, of course, it's down here with us, right? That's, that's kind of the whole point of the incarnation is here's God taking on, humbling himself, letting go of all these things as the Philippians and taking on flesh and being one with us, all of us. 
And so, yeah, I think that's, and it's a much more beautiful way of thinking about it, uh, of God, that God isn't out there, over there somewhere, far away. God is right here with us, closer than our own heartbeat, right? Nothing will ever separate us uh, from the love of God, right? Yeah, I love that. I love that picture. And I also love the, the idea of like taking it back to when you're a parent, you know, when you look at your kids. The way, the way a loving parent thinks about their children relates to their children. And this is the metaphor Jesus famously uses, right? This whole idea of Father God is the kind of the go-to analogy that Jesus uses all the time. And it's, it's always from this sense of a father who is, who is loving and kind and gracious and merciful, right? The whole prodigal son is a wonderful parable uh, showing us and illustrating this idea of God being not judgmental, not angry, not punishing, but merciful and kind and loving and, and right here with us in our struggle, you know, walking with us through it. So I love that. And I, I love that that's part of your story. And it's definitely something that I picked up from the book. So spe- speaking of the book, do, do we have a, an overall idea of when it comes out? You mentioned it came out and now choir is, is picking it up. So it's sometime in this year, I hope. I think it may. Oh, okay. <laughs> we have a release date? I think May. Sometime in May. May. Okay. Yeah. That'll be That's the last word All right. I got. <laughs> well, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I had a chance to, to uh, help a little bit with uh, some of the background stuff on that. And, and uh, yes, I'm so excited you. about letting, uh, about the choir is going to be able to pick up this book. I think you're definitely an author and a voice that the choir is missing. And uh, we definitely are excited to have you part of the choir family. And I'm excited for more people to read your book. So you know, hopefully let's just, let's just put Ralph on the spot and say, it will be out in May. Okay. Choir will push put okay. this out in May. It's, it's recorded. It's, it's out there for the world to hear. And now uh, we'll do our best to try and hit it. Okay. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, where, where in the meantime can people get a hold of you, December? I'm on all social media under December Rose, and that's D-E-S-I-M-B-E-R. Rose, um, the, uh, the book is coming out with choir in May. We're going to speak that into Amen. existence. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so you can get that at Q-U-O-I-R.com. Yeah, or Amazon. <laughs> Eventually. It'll be on Amazon. Or Amazon. Yeah. All places at your favorite book outlets. Uh, so that's where you could be reaching me. If you want to email me or invite me to come speak, it's DecemberRose at gmail.com. And again, that's D-E-S-I-M-B-E-R-R-O-S-E at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and spending a half an hour with us. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be your heretic of the week. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, December. Well, that was amazing. Uh, December. Love you, December. Huge friend, huge, just a great person. She was, she was one of our featured speakers. In fact, she kicked off the Awaken event in Nashville, uh, that we did. And, um, that's available. You can, you can listen to that. If you didn't make it in person, you can check it out online. But, uh, yeah, December is an amazing human being. Love her. Every time I get to hear her speak or get to talk to her, I don't know. She, she, uh, charges me up. She energizes me. I just, uh, I get excited. Yeah, excited to welcome her to the choir family. Oh, yes. Yes, as a published author with choir, and uh, that'll be go. the first of many. There are many Hope other so. things, I can't even talk about them, that are planned coming after that, even beyond that. Um, December, I'm sad I couldn't be there. I know. I'm really looking forward to listening. I missed it, but I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan, just to put it out there. So it's time for, uh, I guess it's time for our topic. 
do it's the widow and the unjust judge. There's other names, right? That's just the one we have titled. Uh, there's plenty of different names that it's given, right? Well, my 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 Bible, well, one of my Bibles that I have open says it's the parable of the persistent widow. There you go. Ooh, I like that. Were, were you about to say the Bible clearly says keep? No, no, because I don't <laughs> believe that. <laughs> I would never say that. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I like the persistent widow. Uh, should we give a really quick summary? Yeah, and Katie, this is this is yours, so why don't you kick us off and, and do parable. that? Okay, so yeah, so I chose the parable because um, the women do feature in parables, but not very often as the main character. So we have the woman of the lot with the lost coin, um, the woman with uh, the bread who needs the bread, and then this one. We do have women who appear in others, like as the in background, like the virgins, the lamplight, stuff like that. So I thought this was an interesting one, and we've kind of done a lot of the lost ones, so. Really, it was a process of elimination. So here we are. All right, so a summary. Jesus is telling a parable um, that people need to pray and not to lose heart. And so there's a judge who's kind of smarmy. And in the city, there's a woman <laughs> who's coming to the judge and says, grant me justice against my accuser. He doesn't do it. And then he finally says to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, but the widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice. So she doesn't wear me out by continuously coming. Really, that's the parable. And then there's a little bit of follow-up by uh, by the author of Luke after that. That's the parable. So I think it's an interesting one. And I don't hear this one overly done, like as as parables. I don't hear it overly interpreted. And so it's kind of unique and interesting for us to dig into it without so much loaded onto it, or at least not for me. I don't know about for you. Well, I say more about what do you mean by loaded onto it? Like the for prodigal you. son, for instance, has like so much attached to it already, or even right. the lost sheep. Like there's so much kind of iconic interpretation. And this one has a little bit maybe, but to me anyway, not nearly as much. Okay. Is, this, yeah. is this one yeah. that you all heard growing up over and over and over? I did. And 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 it was always like, um, and this was one that I struggled with because I said, if the if the judge is God, then the judge is a really shitty judge. And God is a really shitty God. I mean, <laughs> that's, it, this is, that's kind of like where I landed with it. Uh, but, you know, it, I, I learned, you know, through my time in ministry to, uh, to nuance this. And basically, the lesson that I derived from it or that I taught from it was the lesson of importunity, you know, to the persistence, right? That basically, this woman is wearing the judge out. And, and so, you know, is it that God gets tired of hearing or, or maybe you say it so much that he says, okay, okay. All right. Fine. I'll, I'll let you win that game. Exactly. (laughs) Kind of, kind of like Abraham bargaining with God. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit like in that kind of same tone. Abraham, Abraham was trying to win the race to zero in that one. (laughs) He got pretty close, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, again, like with, as we have seen in these other parables, you know, the the typical way I have always been taught to read this particular parable is just like we were saying, like, okay, so in this parable, God is this kind of a dick judge, right? Who even Jesus paints this guy as like, you know, in fact, you know, one of the descriptions is the unjust judge, right? He doesn't care about, he doesn't really care about anything, really. Um, doesn't care what the people think, doesn't care, he's not, he doesn't believe in God. So, he, you know, they, I guess the implication from their, their side is that he has no fear of the law of God either. And yet he's a judge. 
And um, it's sort of like, okay, well, why, why in the analogy, and if that's what this is, would you set up God to be this kind of a character? Like that just seems, that doesn't even make sense. Um, but, it, but it's also very problematic for me anyway, um, because it sets up this absolute promise, right? Like, and so basically if, if you just keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and you're just persistent and you pray and pray and pray, God will eventually give you what you want because of course God is better than this you know, godless, unjust judge. Uh, but again, that's bullshit because anybody who's, I know people I have, have prayed for things for years. And whether it's, you know, I want that job, I want to marry that girl, I want the raise, I want whatever, it doesn't matter how long you pray. Uh, sometimes it just, the answer never, ever comes. And so you don't get what you want. And so I, that, that's my problem with parables like this, because it sets up this expectation for people. Well, it says it in the Bible. If you just mm-hmm. do it and, you know, and keep on believing and praying and praying and praying, well, eventually one day you're going to get it. And I think that's, you're setting people up for um, disappointment. So, yep. Well said. I like, I like seeing this now in, um, in light of like racial justice in America and take God, out, take God out of it for a second. It seems that, if I'm going to analogize anything, it's like equity and equality is or the system. The system, the systemic and systematic racism is the judge. And we have to be persistent. We, uh, and eventually, you know, maybe the, maybe the arc is long, but maybe it gets towards uh, justice. So yeah, that, that removes God out of, out of these parables. But I, I think I've been doing that lately more and more when it comes to parables. I, I think I'm learning that just because Jesus might say, oh, the kingdom of God is like, or he might use the word God in here. I I don't know if we're always just supposed to make a one-to-one with God being the, the uh, stereotypical figure in the parable. Yeah, if we, if we go with the idea that parables are not metaphors and that there's right. no stand-in here, like yeah. the judge, let's, let's presume the judge is not God. And I don't know, who is the woman supposed to be if, if God is the judge? Just Israel. a woman? Israel. Israel. Yeah. Christian, something like that. So, yeah. And so if we, if we see this, I think, from a different perspective where the judge is indeed corrupt, which is very clear uh, in the parable that the judge is corrupt, um, then the widow is someone who keeps coming. And that verb, the verb coming is in the imperfect. So it means that she's not coming once. She comes and she comes and she comes. She like returns and returns and returns and pleads her justice. And so, um, Matt, I really like the idea of seeing this in light of racial justice that, yeah, you the, the first time she appears before the judge, her request is not granted. And certainly we've seen that that's true in America, right? The first, the first plea for justice is, is not heard. It takes persistence. And so that's why I really like the title, The Persistent Widow. And that as, as the people of God, it's up to us to keep that persistence alive, to, keep, to, to, be, the, to be the thorn in the side of injustice. And like justice is really, I think that I think the subject of the, of the parable is really justice. Grant me justice against my accuser. I, I like what, what you just said, Katie, and, and also what Matt just said. And, and, and I have to admit, that was triggered by both of them, not triggered by you per se, but it triggered something. And, and, it, and it's this, that 
basically the the cries of the oppressed in this country go unheard. They go unheard. And 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 so when we when we look at this in the context of God, and, and I'm gonna tell you something, guys, this is this is this is a a place where my faith really got fucked up. It it really did. Because if 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 the if this parable is to is to hold some weight, then it says that after the 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 period of importunity, that the request, the petition is granted, and that justice is served. But I see repeatedly over and over again in the ter- in the context of racial justice in this country where justice is never served, it never comes, and and and. As near as I can tell, it never will. And, and, and because of that, I, I have to conclude, and, and again, this is me, I'm saying this is me, caveating, this is me, your mileage <laughs> may vary, that either God is a complete dick and really doesn't care about anybody, or he doesn't exist. And, and that's the, those are the only two possible conclusions that I can derive from this, you know, this ongoing situation. So, I, so I, I, when you said that, I got I got triggered, and 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 I, and I and I had to put this out here. But the 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 one thing here is that okay, in in the in the light of the importunity, in the light of the persistence, in the light of the persistent coming. I mean, this this is what you would call a Trump lawsuit. This is a nuisance lawsuit. Basically, the, the, the woman is over and over and over again. I've I pled my case. The judge is like, you know, rejected, denied, rejected, denied. And, and finally, he says, oh, fuck. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and give her what she wants just so she can get out of my face. And, you know, and, and it would be nice that if in the face of such importunity that maybe God would grant that justice, but it never comes. And that's a troubling thing for me. Yeah, and that's a great point, Derek, and I'm so glad you brought that up. But I I, I was noticing something, uh, just looking at the passage again, and again, recognizing it's a, it is a parable, and it seems as if like one of the underlying ideas of the parable is this persistence, right, of not giving up. But I, I think one of the problems is, and I'll just say for, again, let me just say for myself, is that I have always understood this parable as, okay, it's about prayer. And so what I'm imagining is that what Jesus is urging us to do is to get on your knees, you know, and get beside your bed and fold your hands and close your eyes and then pray, 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 pray. And then just do that for, you know, ad nauseum forever until you get what you want. But I don't think that is, that's it at all now. I mean, honestly, just as we're talking and I'm looking at it and I'm hearing all these, all the things we're saying about it, I, I look at that parable again. And what is that woman doing? Is she... Is she in her house alone with the door closed in the dark? No. She gets up, gets dressed, gets up early, goes, stands in line, mm. waits her turn, goes up in front of that judge, and she does it over and over and over again. And so there is a there's a level of persistence that's also about get off your ass, get on your feet. And if this is about justice, then it is about it is mm. yeah, it's about it's about oh. get get your sign, sign your petition, stand out, go on the march. 
add your voice, don't shut up, keep yelling, keep screaming, keep pounding, keep putting pressure. That's the level of, of what I believe Jesus is talking about here. And it, I don't even think it's even about prayer. I really think it's about recognizing injustice and saying we're not going to stop and we're not going to give up until this bullshit stops. That, and I tell you what, God damn, if that's that, what this is about, I freaking love this parable. <laughs> King, that's, that's smoking fucking hot, man. I'm serious. I mean, you know, I just, I'm serious. I just grew in real time there. <laughs> so if the parable, I think the parable is about prayer, but it's about us redefining what that is, right? Prayer mm-hmm. is justice. Prayer is the search for justice, or that's one version of prayer. So prayer is when I um, write my petition. Prayer is yes. when I show up for a protest. Prayer is when I speak up about injustice. I think it's maybe helpful to also talk about the widow because um, and, and judges. So because it's really hard to get our American or our Western courtroom scene out of our heads. Um, but the in the Jewish context, the judge would have been um, probably a uh, arbiter of Jewish law. And widows, it would be very atypical for them to go speak up for themselves. Usually the closest male relative would do that. So this widow is obviously not remarried and she's not under the care of a brother or a son or someone like that. And so this is, this is like, this calls us to attention. So someone who's in a very vulnerable state is the one who is persistent here. Like she's mm-hmm. showing up, showing up, showing up. And um, this is from the scholar Mary Matthews. Thank you, uh, Mary Matthews. And this is from the uh, the Lost Coin edited volume. And it's quite dated now, but I, th- I found this really, really helpful. And so she's, <laughs> she's showing up and it's been suggested that she may be showing up to the person who has harmed her. That person may be the judge mm. because that's wow. who she would be able to speak in front of. And so wow. if, we, if we think in terms of gender justice today or racial justice today, then it's the right to confront your oppressor Damn. In, in a court of law. And, and that that oppressor finally, I don't know that this judge ever sees the error of his ways, but he um, arbitrates in favor of justice, even if it's for the wrong reasons. Right. Right. That finally happens here. Yeah. And and I think that's just looking at, you know, I mean, like the the three that are in the, the in the news the most: racial justice, women's rights, and LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. It's like, who cares how the uh, systems of oppression fall? Even if the judges who decided do it begrudgingly, still do the work because it's like the people who finally cave in are not going to do it for the right reason generally. But they're going to do it because of pressure and pressure and pressure, and that's what the that's what the woman in this does, and that's what we have to do. I mean, it's it's fitting that you know you have judges uh, on the Supreme Court who are stripping away women's health care rights. So this this uh, parable is perfect timing for that. And so yeah. yes, have to be persistent. You have to be annoying. You have to bug the system. Because even if they even if they cave and they might not change their mind, but at least the system will be changed. And then the minds of those we change are the people who are willing to listen. It's not always going to be the people in power, and typically it's not. And and you know, I'll tell you something. I'm I'm really gifted, blessed, if you will, to be surrounded by such smart people. 
because I, I just heard three different viewpoints that have really kind of broadened my horizon in real time. And one of the things that Katie said, and, and this is this is really a, a key point, I think, to this parable, is the fact that women didn't have rights at the time of this. They, it, it, women were expected to keep silent. They, they did not have a voice, but yet and still, this woman is pleading her case publicly. And, and so when you, when you look at, um, you know, systems of oppression, uh, you know, particularly in the West and, and, and more succinctly in America, you know, where, uh, blacks didn't have rights, Native Americans didn't have rights, that women didn't have rights, the LGBTQ, um, brothers and sisters didn't have rights. And now it, it, it's like, it's almost essential. That and 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 it it's funny because in in a previous time it was almost uh, quixotic in in how uh, we approached it, but um, but now it's almost essential that the that the voice of the oppressed is heard, that that the voices that previously didn't have a venue get space, and and so yeah, this 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 speaks to something I think in that particular time period. But I think that this is actually one of these things where the Bible actually speaks to something presently, to Matt's point. And, and I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, more, um, I'm more impressed by you guys' interpretation of this than the text itself, but I, am, I have grown in real time. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that's what I love about this parable series because I, I, I have had that same experience uh, throughout this parable series, the first one and the second one. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I, I know I, what I just said a second ago, I, I was having the, I was growing myself as I was saying it because I was realizing like, oh, oh crap. That's what I think that's what this is saying that I never noticed it before. And I love, love, love being able to see something that seems so familiar. Um, as if seeing it for the very first time and then realizing, oh my gosh, this is way more radical than I had ever thought. Um, and what I wanted to say about that too is the, um, it seems that, it seems that the, what this parable, um, at least to me is trying to say is that, and then based on what we're all kind of saying on this, um, that it's about, that the parable is about how change happens. And if, and if, if you will, how the kingdom comes, uh, the kingdom doesn't come um, by just sitting quietly and doing nothing or waiting or truly or hoping. It's not about hoping and wishing. Um, uh, it, there's, there's a great quote and I had to look it up to, just to remember who exactly how it went and who said it. Um, but there's a great quote that says, do not wait to strike, uh, until the iron is hot, but make it hot by striking. And, um, cause there's, there's the whole phrase about, you know, strike while the iron is hot, which is like, oh, well, when the opportunity is there, then you'd better go for it. But it seems like that this is sort of a paraphrase of what Jesus is saying in this parable, as I understand it, is that, no, 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 here's what you do. If you want that, if you want the opportunity to come your way, um, go ahead and start striking that iron now and keep striking it until it's hot enough that now that, you know, change will come and something will happen. And I think it's just, it's a great, it's just, a, it's just a great, powerful motivator to say that change can come, we can make a difference, justice can eventually happen, but it will not happen if we are not 
out there invested. You know, yes, we're praying. Yes, we're, you know, lifting our prayers up to God, but that isn't all we're doing. We have to be doing everything we can possibly do and doing it together so that eventually those changes will come. Yeah, and prayer prompts us to action. It should. Right, like the, I mean, it should, right? Like there, there's there all sorts of different kinds of prayer, so I don't want to like parse all that out, but we, or at least I, I should only speak for myself, I, I pray that I may then know how to act. Right. Like I know what, where I'm called to, to act. And I, I think it would be interesting for us to take a look at the very ending because I kind of brushed over it in my summary. I was like, and then like, there's some interpretation afterwards. But let's look at that because it's um, we, we run the risk of dismissing some of the jackassery that <laughs> in, the, in the parable as well. And I don't want to minimize that. So, okay. So uh, starting with verse six, this is ch- Luke chapter 18, uh, starting with verse six after the parable's over. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge said. Uh, and will not God grant justice to his chosen uh, chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping him, helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And so this is, you know, when we're talking about some of the problems we're facing here, this seems in opposition to that. And so I want to go back to something, you know, Derek said at, kind of at the beginning and I don't want to misquote you, Derek, but like when you, you you kind of said, you know, there's two conclusions if we see God as the judge, right? Which is that God doesn't exist or God's a jackass. But I want to present kind of the third option. I don't see God as the a judge dick. here necessarily. A dick. A dick. Yeah, a dick. A dick. thank you. Uh, and so I don't want to um, put God in the position of the judge here because I don't, I don't think that's quite right. But I think God grants justice quickly. But God also has given the earth and humans free will. So like humans are really the dicks here. Like if it was up to God and God alone, God would grant justice. But God actually puts that in human hands. And so I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm glad there's injustice, um, but we're not puppets. Like people are not puppets of God to grant justice. And so it's one of those where um, I think humans are, or I, my, my inclination is that humans are, you know, we have the capacity to be so barbarous, so barbaric, um, to inflict so much, so much injustice, so much trauma. Um, and I think God wants that to be resolved quickly, but we like, have not figured out as a species how to do that. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I like that perspective, Katie. I think I, I probably myself lean more on that side of seeing it as a collaboration. The justice is a collaboration between um, God and people who desire justice. And, and I would say, again, I think even uh, as with many other parables of Jesus about the, speaking about the kingdom of God, like, I think the kingdom of God is is about justice as well. Um, and so it's a collaboration between us and God. In other words, like, again, we shouldn't just be waiting for God to make it happen. It's something that God makes happen as we uh, work along with God. We work hand in hand with God. We have, like, I found, I found um, some really interesting metaphors along those lines. Uh, Kenneth Tanner is someone I really, really like and, he said something once, he was making an observation once about the elements of the Lord's Supper and how Jesus frames it as this, these are signs of the new covenant that he's making. And he made the, he made the observation that the, the two main elements of the, of the Lord's Supper are bread and wine. But the point about the, the, the fact that it's bread and wine is that it's bread, not grain. And it's wine, not grapes. And his point was, 
um, God creates grain, but we make bread by taking what God has given, which is the grain, and then we make the bread. And God makes grapes. God doesn't make wine. God makes grapes, but we, in collaboration with God, using the things God has given us, the grapes he's given us, we know how to make wine. And so, because the elements of this uh, Lord's Supper and this, and this, this, so this symbolism of our, again, our communion with one another and our communion with God, which is recognizing our connectivity and our oneness with God and with one another, that we are all together in this, that, the, that those two symbols are symbols of collaboration between the creation and the creator, that it isn't just the creator. It's not, okay, here's what God did and we just do nothing. No, we, we contribute something or nothing happens. And I, again, I think all of this goes along with what we've been saying uh, about this, uh, about this parable. And, and, and Keith, you said something. Katie said it too. And, and, and I, I love this because this is something that I'd never seen until just now. And that is this, that, that the judge sits on his bench. And as long as he's sitting on his bench with no interaction with the widow, no justice is given. Oh, yeah. But the widow, the, the widow could have gone out into the streets, held her uh, picket sign and marched up and down the thoroughfare. And, but she never, if she had never come to the judge, then the justice would not be served. So, so this whole thing about collaboration between God and man, that makes perfect sense to me. Because, and, and then the, the, um, tying that in, uh, dovetailing that with the, uh, the metaphor of the bread and wine that, you know, that we're, we're not working with, with raw materials. We're working with a finished product and we're using a finished product that is a collaboration that, that are jointly collaborations between God and man and bringing these two, uh, disparate, uh, things into collaboration to, to create a fellowship. So there, there, um, this, this is funny because I used to see this parable as very binary. And, and, and today, literally today, I, I, I see, uh, at least six degrees of nuance in this. Yeah. That's, that's what I, well, that's what I love about this whole series. That's what I love about the way we're picking apart these parables because I think we all have the approach that there's not going to be one meaning. And in the church, we typically say, well, here's what the meaning is or the accepted meaning. And maybe it's one or two different things. This parable means that. This parable means this. And instead, it's like, I still don't know what it means, but I like all the different interpretations. And I think that's the point. Is I don't think we get to the end of a parable and say, oh, it means this or it means that. And we've metaphor, we made a metaphor or an analogy. No, I, I love all these different approaches. And you see it with, you know, drawing out closer towards like infinite meaning. How much meaning can we draw from it? Let's find out all the ways. I just, I just love that. Katie? I want to look at the very kind of the last sentence that's often, the last verse that's often kind of tacked on, which is uh, verse eight. I tell you, um, he, uh, the son of man, or no God, I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the son of man comes, will he find faith, faith on earth? And this idea that we um, that we're in collaboration with God and bringing justice about, but that the uh, just to to reference Martin Luther King Jr., you know, the the arc of justice is really really long, and so it's like God, you know, in my in my vision, God would grant justice very quickly, 
but we have this deal. We have this cosmic deal where we have free will. And so when Jesus appears in our midst, I imagine Jesus is like, fuck y'all, really? This is taking forever. <laughs> I, sh- I like showed you what to do. Come on. Right. So like, is this that a red is, letter? That's a red letter quote there. I like that. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. But, and so this, like, I think even within the interpretation of the parable, we see that tension. We see that contrast. Oh, yeah. That God wants things to happen quickly too. And that God is also sorry when they don't. Yes. And like, yeah, and, and Jesus, I mean, I think Jesus is the son of man here, not a title I love, but is what it is. Yeah, and Jesus is also disappointed by that. Yeah, I got to say, I did not have high hopes for this episode at the beginning, but right now I am like so in love with this parable. No faith in my parable selection. Keith is, Keith's about to write a whole blog series on this. I am, I'm telling you. No, no, because well, Katie, seriously, when I when I just, I even said before we started the recording, like I read over the parable just to refresh my memory and I'm looking at it again I'm, before we recorded this and I'm like, I got nothing. There's nothing here. This is so straightforward and blah, blah. And I mean, well, big deal. And then we start talking about it and I'm like, oh my gosh, there is so much here that I did not see before. And so again, that's why I so love this series on parables because as Derek has said, like we're growing in real time as we're discussing these things. And I I feel like I've you know, I got brand new eyes. I'm seeing something I never, ever saw. I didn't even think I could see it. I mean, ahead of time, I thought, there's nothing for me to see here. And now I'm like, oh, wow, there is, I was so wrong. I'm so glad to be wrong about that. But you know what, Keith? I was, I was exactly the same way. I was exactly in the same headspace. And it, and it, and it isn't <laughs> anything about Katie. Basically, I mean, you guys know where I am as far as like the, you know, the Bible and all of that goes. Oh, yeah. But, but this is, this is the thing that I'll say about this, right? Is, is that there was something about this particular, not just this particular parable, but it's been, it's been throughout the entire series is that you guys are so adept. At, at, at finding the gold or, or, or better yet, let me, let me use a more, a more striking metaphor. You're, you guys are more, you guys are extraordinarily adept at finding the sweet corn in the shit. <laughs> oh, lovely. I like the first one. I like I, the first one. I prefer the first one too. Yeah. Yes, gold. I know you prefer the first one, but, uh, but, but yeah. And, 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 and so the, the thing is, is that, this has taught me a lesson too, and and that is to um, that the the company you keep makes all the difference in the world, and and that that basically I, we could take a really mundane thing or an ordinary thing or a simple thing or something that we think that we all have kind of covered it that we've looked at it and 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 we've analyzed it but but the there's there's a certain synergy that happens here that 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 kind of cracks the kernel of what we're looking at and 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 I, and and it it never ceases to amaze me that's all i think when you come um together in a community of people that you know you trust that think about these things deeply you're you're always going to find new depths of meaning and, and things that you can't come up with yourself. And it's just, it's almost like the, the more people that you bring like us into the fold, into discussions like this, it's like it, it the interpretation, the amount of interpretations kind of grow exponentially. It's not just four times, it's like 16 times the amount of stuff that we can come up with on our own. So seven times 70. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I'm sure we could go on and on and on, but I think I think this is a good time to uh, land the plane. This isn't even a crash landing. It's a, it's a, <laughs> this is a smooth landing on this one, folks. Uh, but before we go, heretichappyhour.com is our website. If everyone can go check it out, we have Heretics of the Week books that are generally 17, uh, 15% off. Sorry, so I don't know where 17 came from. 15% off retail. We also have merch. Shirts, hats, all sorts of goodies. Check out heretichappyhour.com today. And then come on over to the Heresy After Hours. It's our free Facebook group with a couple of thousand people in there. We laugh, we cry, we post memes, and we make fun. You can't lose. Come join us there. That's right. And all of you who support us on Patreon, we love you with the love of a million sons. Uh, Thank you so much for... All of your support means so much to us. Thank you for supporting the podcast. And that makes us so happy to be able to record bonus interview footage, extra content, and put that up there on the Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. And if you support us, not only will you get our undying love and all that unlock all that cool stuff, you will also be allowed access into the ultra secret beyond the velvet rope heretic happy hour Facebook group. So yeah, if you're not a supporter yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Go check it out. Become a supporter today. We love you. And if you love this podcast and you listen to it on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever great podcasts are aired, please give us a five-star rating, especially on iTunes. Because if you do, you will support these fine, intellectual, spiritually attuned minds that pick the sweet corn out of the shit so you don't have to. Thanks. Going to have the best dreams with that. <laughs> we will continue to be persistent on that. So yes. Nice. Give Full in. circle, Matt. Full mm. circle. I'm impressed. Hey, there's Barrett. Thanks, Barrett, for landing this, uh, this beautiful plane. Yeah, buddy.